Hey, this is Molly, real quick, using the voice memo app. Hey. Just a few announcements before we start. First of all, there are only a few episodes of Smash Everything left in the world, because we are moving on to a new podcast about gender and queerness and identity, and I'm so excited to share it with you. I have spent a lot of money on this new podcast because I want to make it as great as possible for everyone. If you want to support this podcast existing in the world, it would really mean a lot to me if you threw a few dollars in the PayPal or pledged to donate a dollar more a month on Patreon. If you have other ideas of ways to contribute or ways we can just fall in a pile of money, uh, you can reach me at smasheverythingpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook on the Smash Everything page. Uh, Also... I updated my laptop this week, and my editing software that I've used since day one of this podcast, and for seven years before that, uh, is no longer compatible with my computer. So I learned a whole new editing software this today, and uh, I think it turned out okay, but if you notice any like very weird jumps or glitches, uh, that's why, and I'll keep figuring it out, and it'll be great. It's real great. I'm good at this. It's it's fine. Um, today's podcast is an interview about disability with Allison Jones. Allison made my career possible, and she taught me a lot about just how to be a person on the planet. So I am really excited to share this conversation with you. Uh, I think that's it for now. I love you very much, and I hope you made it through this week okay. Uh, Thanksgiving can be really hard for a lot of people. And if you missed our Thanksgiving episode last year, I would suggest going through and listening to it now. But I just want you to know that uh, if you had a hard time, that we're here for you. And you can reach us at all the ways I mentioned, or you can find me all over the internet. All right. Love you very much. Bye. Welcome to Smash Everything. Today, I'm very excited to have one of my very dear friends, Allison, here to talk about ableism and disability. Allison, can you introduce yourself, please? Absolutely. I um, I'm a writer and a photographer and a person with many jobs that uh, is always in flux. And so I have... I grew up in California, been living in Portland for about 12 years, and am making a career out of telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's all in, sh- all in flux, all always shifting, and uh, this year kind of coming to a head. So it's really hard to say what I do, because I don't really know. I mean, you are very, very good at constantly analyzing what you're doing and finding ways to make yourself like happier or more fulfilled and uh, being really honest about that. Like, perpetual growth. uh, And I I think that's really great. We're here to talk about disability. And I was wondering if you could start by talking about your relationship to that word and maybe what the first time is where you felt that that word might apply to you. Absolutely. So I was born with hip dysplasia, which um, most people will probably think of as a dog disease, which I'm totally cool with. (laughs) I I basically am. My my whole intro could have been, I'm a golden retriever because I am. Uh, And so basically I was born, one of my hips was out of socket. And my, unfortunately, my parents didn't catch it when I was born. A lot of babies are screened uh, for it these days. And even when I was born in the 80s. And with young children, you can uh, double diaper or put them in a brace really early before they start walking. 
unfortunately, my, my dad had a pretty serious health scare when I was born. And so there was a lot of distractions and it wasn't always evident what to do. Um, a lot of things were experimental at the time. And so we didn't catch it until I started walking. And so when I was four years old, I had a really severe limp. One of my legs was a, a good deal longer than the other. And x-rays showed that I basically was walking without a hip socket that worked. Oh my gosh. And so I had my first surgery when I was four. I had a full body cast from my toes to my chest. And um, yeah, I spent a lot of time in a wheelchair. And there's still, I mean, that's a, that was a baby. I don't, those are really my first memories is of being different, of you looking out a window and seeing kids on bikes and scooters and running around and developing my own sense of self as somebody who didn't do those things and drew and wrote and watched a hell of a lot of television. Mm -hmm. And um, and so that was really core to my identity as a kid. But then I, after that surgery, I thought I was, I thought it was done. I thought, mm -hmm. oh, I'm fixed because that's how medicine works, right? And so in, in my early school years, I loved basketball. I'm really tall. So I, I was playing basketball with the boys and I had a lot of pain. And I was like, well, that's just because I'm an athlete and athletes mm -hmm. have pain. And so we went, uh, when I was 11 years old, went to the doctor and was told, uh, you'll never be on a sports team. You'll never, um, you know, your dream of being in the first woman in the NBA is, is bullshit. And also, 11-year-old girl, you'll never have kids. Oh, my gosh. And so I had my second surgery the summer after my sixth grade year and was in a wheelchair off and on through my first year of middle school, which... Uh, was awful. <laughs> yeah, that sounds traumatic. Really traumatic. And so, I mean, that, you know, I have the memories of being followed down the hallway by the mean boys, like quacking like a duck because I was limping so much. And, and, and do that, ducks limp? Um, I, you know, waddle. There's a, there's a, wa <laughs> there's a waddling. So, uh, I really at that point saw that and I was the only quote unquote disabled person in any school that I went to mm -hmm. and that feels like a crime to me because like I'm sure I don't know if people were going to other schools or if there just weren't disabled kids growing up in my small town in California but I felt so totally isolated mm -hmm. um and so because of that isolation I just wanted to totally pull away from that identity and not be disabled and be able-bodied. But through high school and college, I wasn't allowed to be in gym. I wasn't allowed to, you know, I I, I was in my mid-20s before I, like, changed in a locker room. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that experience. And not that that's one that I think people cherish. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, it's added to this list of things that I never got to do. And so when I, when I got older, I really tried to reclaim that identity as an, as an athlete by ignoring my pain mm -hmm. and ignoring the fact that I have a disability. And so I went the other direction and I ran and I became a yoga teacher and I became a health editor of um, City Magazine uh, and spent a lot of time working out and pushing through and pushing harder than I should and um, really creating a lot of pain. And so that 
was a wake-up call and so really to answer your question like five minutes later um (laughs) i have identified as a disabled person within the past year wow because i didn't think that term was for me i didn't want that term to be for me um because it it isolated me and it made my whole life it isolated me and it 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 meant that more pain was on the horizon and obviously for all of us pain is on the horizon and disability is on the horizon and i think that's something that able-bodied people don't necessarily you know see right um but there was this idea that if i could ignore it it would go away Mm -hmm. and it didn't go away and ignoring it and running when I was told not to. I mean, I had this list from doctors a mile long of the things that I, I, I'd never do. Mm-hmm. And it became my mission in life to do all those things. Right. All of them. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I'm not in the NBA yet. But, <laughs> and I don't have kids. But uh, uh, short of that, you know, I, I hiked through Europe. And I, I had a job where I stood a lot. And um, I'm, I'm pretty active now. But I am disabled. And owning that and honoring my limits physically has been hard but has been liberating mm-hmm. because i don't i don't hold myself to the same standard that i did a few years ago yeah it seems like it would be really hard especially in this time in our culture where we're really emphasizing fitness as like the new beauty ideal to be a person with, with to whom like that specific type of fitness that is most glorified isn't accessible to you uh that seems like it would be really exclusive and frustrating absolutely it's i think especially as we move into this kind of healthism world where we're not just talking about size Mm -hmm. and obviously a bunch of awesome people are going even beyond healthy is is beautiful it's still in our little bubble in portland definitely feels like you get a pass in being in a larger size body mm-hmm. if you are active and especially publicly, um, you know, being somebody who writes about health, if you're not, you know, oh, it's what workout are you doing? Oh, did you go to that new gym? Did you go to, to that new, you know, cycling class? And I'm strong and I, you know, I can walk my dog every day, but I can't run and I can't take a spin class and I can't, I can't even do yoga anymore. And that's, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I think that a lot of people have a misunderstanding about it's kind of marginal uh, disability where I'm not in a wheelchair right now. Uh, I don't use crutches right now. But there are days when it's really hard for me to put my socks on. And it's really hard for me to do more than the bare minimum. And so when I go to, you know, people think, oh, yoga is for everybody. And I think that's true as long as I'm doing yoga alone in my house or paying somebody a lot to do one-on-one yoga. Because I go into a yoga class and I tell them, oh, I have hip dysplasia. I can't do a lot of flexion. And or, you know, to the kettlebell gym or to whatever. Oh, oh, just listen to your body. Honor your body and do what's right. It's like, okay, then I'm going to do a completely different class than the rest of this class is doing. And it's a waste of my time. And I feel completely awkward being the one who can't sit on the ground. And so I'm on this search for the things that I can do that match up my identity, my internal identity as an athlete with my external and physical reality. 
Yeah. And this is interesting because I feel like this is actually speaking about like your inner identity versus like what you can physically do. I think that this is something that's going to happen to all of us as we age and you're just hitting it sooner. Uh, And the folks who think that they're going to be able to, you know, run and jump and gauge their self-worth based on their ability to do those things like that's going to betray them eventually (laughs) and you're just having to go through it uh, at a time before we all have to go through it. The funny thing is, I think I exist in kind of a um, backwards version of that. I always think that in the future, I will be more able. Mm-hmm. When I get my hip replacements, when I get, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, when I lose X amount of pounds or when my body doesn't hurt as much, when there's a drug that's developed that takes away my pain, when I find the anti-gravity shoes, whatever it is... <laughs> Then I will be this this person. And I kind of envision this person being like 60 and like ripped. <laughs> I love this. And, and just like taken on the world. And so I started, you know, as a baby being disabled. And for some reason, I'm, I'm living this reverse life. Allison Button. Allison Button. Exactly. Where there's this idea of me running a marathon, which has always been this, this marker of potential to me. Mm -hmm. that is when I will arrive in my body. And it's crazy because I don't even know if I like running. I've just never been able to do it. Um, So yeah, I do. I I think that a lot of people will end up in that place. We all will. Some of us sooner than later. Some of us have always been here. But um, I like to think that it doesn't have to be a, a one direction change. Yeah. There's this disability activist that I really like whose name is Annie Sagara, who also makes YouTube videos under the name Annie Eleni. And I saw a post from them that was really valuable to me who was talking about like, sometimes you'll see photos of Annie standing up without any aids. And what you when you see that, you're like, oh, I've seen photos of you in a wheelchair. I've seen photos of you with crutches. I've seen photos of you with a cane. And now you're standing upright. So if you're standing upright, why aren't you just walking around all the time? And they're like, well, because I can stand upright for like two minutes at a time before the pain and like exhaustion is too severe and I need to sit down. So like most days I need my wheelchair, but sometimes I do need a cane and sometimes I do need crutches and sometimes I can stand. And I'm sure that that's something that you can identify with as someone who has been in wheelchairs for part of your life, who's been able to walk around for part of your life. So can you talk about what it feels like to have this like changing ability over time and how folks who are able-bodied like might not be able to understand the reality of that? I feel judged constantly. Um, I I think that's the, the reaction I have from that. Like internally, I'm okay with the fact that some days I'm more able than others. But uh, from from the outside looking in, I, I, ha- I have a disabled placard for my car. And so I get sweet, sweet parking spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know, I know that people see me and they go, why did, you know, oh, she's obviously like stolen that from her grandma or, mm-hmm. or something. And, um, and the days where I'm, I'm limping a lot more. So one of my legs is still three inches longer than the other. And some days I'm limping a lot more or I think there's this, in my experience, there's this sense that able-bodied folks really want to ask and they feel, I don't know if entitled's the right word, but I have had so many people every week, sometimes every day, ask me why I'm limping, why I'm not doing this thing in, you know, a class or or 
why I'm opting out, why I'm sitting in a chair instead of on a cushion in a meditation class. Like these spaces where I feel like people should kind of know yeah. that that's a bit of a personal thing. Um, and I know it's often coming from compassion and coming from wanting to be kind and empathetic and listen, but it's pretty aggressive. And so when people who I don't know check in with me about my ability that day, whether it's obvious or not, it, it's it's weird. It's a weird thing to have to deal with their discomfort with my discomfort. When we were working together, I remember one time you were walking down a hallway in our office and someone who we worked with, who you'd worked with for years, were asking why you were limping. And I was wondering if that made you feel like you weren't seen by them or like you were found out or what feelings come up when that happens when someone you've known for a long time suddenly realizes. It makes me feel like I've been doing a really good job. Like it makes me want to pat myself on the back for my awesome physical therapy that allows me to like swing my hips in a in a way that allows the limp to be not noticeable. But you know, gosh, how much do we have to expend energy to look quote unquote normal? Like how it is exhausting to think every time I'm walking down a hallway that I should perform ability. That reminds me of something that I really wanted to ask. It's kind of a long question, but I was looking up definitions of disability. And generally speaking, it's like a person who has some kind of impairment. It could be a wide range, whether it's physical or mental or cognitive or developmental. But um, in some way, they have this impairment that limits uh, certain tasks, some part of their life, some activity in their life. And what that made me think of was that that doesn't seem like a static fixed thing. That makes it seem like disability is whoever falls through the cracks of the society that we've created and that it would be dependent on where you were and what sort of society was being built, right? Because if the whole definition is like you're not able to do the things that everyone else has decided you can do, that's that is depending on like individual person's life hacks. You know, it depends on how much you're willing, again, to like perform and conform and like figure out ways to do things the way that everyone else is doing them. So I guess my question is like, is there any like inherent definition of disability or is it just about like not fitting in and not existing in the way that able-bodied and like neurotypical folks exist? Whew. There's a question. You don't have to know the objective answer, but it's a question to be discussed. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you're bringing in, you know, the psychological aspect of disability because I am also, uh, I live with bipolar disorder. And um, in, in interestingly, in the past year where my hips have been really shitty, my, my, my brain's been pretty shitty too. Uh, and so it's, it's, I, I think because we understand that that is disability as well, I, the, the definition you read feels like it is also everybody on earth. Yeah, totally. Right. Um, and that, I don't want to say that like all disabilities on a spectrum, but like all disabilities on a spectrum. And I, I think we are all limited in the life we want to live and all limited. And we all experience barriers to, performing, whether it's sleep deprivation or whether it's, you know, something genetic you were born with that has resulted in in surgeries or chronic pain or whether you're, you know, struggling with depression. I think that we all experience these barriers that are connected to who, who we are. Um, and so I think 
there's definitely empathy that that can and should come from that and just acknowledging where you are disabled and the ways in which you're disabled i mean it's there are obviously able-bodied people out there who don't know what it's like to be limited in the way that i have felt but i don't really know how to define the difference between me and them yeah I mean, like, maybe it's a spectrum. Like, most things we've created into binaries, they're actually spectrums. Absolutely. And it probably changes over time who's in what. Um, That is interesting thinking about, like, mental illness as a disability because I do know that there are folks with depression, for example, who get disability payments. And I've always been, like, a fairly high-functioning depressive in that I could normally go to work. So I'm seeing this fine. And it is interesting to think about, like, there are people whose depression counts as a disability and maybe mine doesn't count as a disability. And, like, Mm -hmm. where do you draw the line? You know, it's like that's very interesting as well and not something that I want to think about. Like, I don't feel comfortable, like, dividing people into those groups. And that's that's been my internal struggle. So much of my adult life is am I disabled enough Mm -hmm. to belong to this community? Am I disabled enough to need government assistance? Am I disabled enough to get some assurance from my employers that, you know, PTO is a little different for me because sometimes I might not be able to physically get into the office, but I can function otherwise. And so working from home should be an option for me. Like, am I disabled enough to ask for what I need? Mm -hmm. And that's a, I think that that's such a hard question and it's such a personal one. Um, because like many of our identities, they can be marginal and can not seem like truly you know we can't truly step into them you know we can't truly inhabit a life in which disabled is a word that defines me um but it also that definition should never stop us for ask from asking for what we need Mm -hmm. and you know whether those are are mental needs and or, or accommodations or those are physical accommodations i just I hate that my discomfort with identifying as disabled in my life has prevented me from living as rich a life as I think I I could have had I identified as such earlier. I have heard from folks with disabilities that there is a huge problem with folks with disabilities being seen as like asexual, non-sexual, completely like childlike or completely fetishized and there's not room for them to just have like healthy romantic and sexual relationships and to have families and to be queer and all of these things uh there's a death sex and money episode that i really like that i just wanted to recommend everyone um that i will link to in the show notes it's about two folks with in wheelchairs that have a kid um who is able-bodied and it's like a really cute wonderful exciting story but i wanted to ask you um how your relationships have been affected by your disability and also or how they haven't been and also like if you have advice for able-bodied folks who are and like neurotypical folks who are trying to date folks with disabilities and how for them to not be an asshole and not to be condescending definitely that's a that's a can of worms i just want to give one more prop to a podcast that's similarly awesome because yes. i did hear that one and it was amazing and everybody should listen to it uh the longest shortest time mm-hmm. is um, it's technically a parenting podcast, but it's amazing. I listen to it and I have no intention of ever having children. <laughs> it's so good. It is so, so good. And so they have an episode called Alex and the Oracular Lamb. About, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About um, a, an amazing woman who is kind of struggling with that idea of like, 
will I or won't I, but from a from an in, very interesting perspective. Um, and so check that one out as well. Yes. But uh, from my experience, you know, I was very reluctant to be sexual with anybody for a long time. Uh, having a pelvic um, disability, I guess, you know, to put it in simple terms, um, I have a lot of nerve damage from my, my surgeries. And so my... Most of my left leg is uh, above my knee is numb and I have about a 16 inch scar uh, that has a lot of numbness around it. And that numbness kind of extends into my crotch. And I was so concerned about letting somebody else into that space and giving up my control and giving up my you know, fear of, of being touched, that it was, it was really hard in a lot of my early relationships. And I don't feel like my partners ever were threatened by that, but I think the, the only advice I give is talk about it. Talk about it. Do not be afraid to talk about it. And I know that that goes against the thing that I said a little earlier about don't just ask strangers on the street about, you know, their disability. But when it's your partner, I think being as open as possible about what makes them comfortable in any scenario, whether that's with gender or whether that's with, you know, any form of consent, it's talk about it. And I I think my most sensitive partners who really allowed me to kind of come into my sexuality as a physical person, um, we talked about it a lot. And we talked about what am I comfortable with today? Where am I comfortable with your hands being? Where am I? What positions am I comfortable with? Because as a phys- having a physical disability, some positions are terrible. Mm-hmm. Like if we're gonna just like talk sex, like mm-hmm. that. And so I also have really learned to speak up about what is comfortable and uncomfortable for me, even when it's not the sexiest thing to say in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, full, full. Just I'm putting it out there, <laughs> like. Me and my guy were having sex like two weeks ago mm-hmm. and I was in so much pain because mm-hmm. of the position we were in. I was like, hold up, switch up, let's keep going. Totally. But but I can't do this anymore. And I think that there's that little voice in my head that's like, don't say that. That's not sexy. That's not, that's not, you know, that's not what he wants to hear. It was like, that's bullshit. You yeah. know, it, it, we have to speak up for ourselves and we have to create space for other people to speak up and, and, and talk about it. And so it's just that dialogue. Totally. I mean, I have a rule with, my partner where like the second you don't want to be doing a thing you have to say that you no longer want to be doing that thing uh whether because it hurts or because you just don't feel like doing it anymore or whatever and like literally if he deduces that I actually was not enjoying something for a period of time he's like you need to tell me immediately yeah Yeah, (laughs) and so it's very much like you can't just like put up with things when they hurt you like you need to just tell me the second is not okay anymore and it's back to that that performative aspect yeah and it's hard like it is hard to like say something in the moment but yeah. I'm trying to honor his request to nobody say, wants to yeah. have sex I mean good people don't want to have yeah. sex with people who d- aren't enjoying themselves. right exactly exactly good people don't um so disability to me seems like the lowest profile social justice topic um like I can name a lot of like anti-racist activists and a lot of feminist activists and a lot of um I don't know, any any topic, like queer and trans activists. And I would have to, like, 
look up the names of the couple of disability activists that I actually have heard of before. Like, I don't even know their names off the top of my head. Um, And that's after making, like, a conscious effort to follow more on Twitter. So I'm wondering uh, why you think that is. And also, like, if you have any activists or resources you could suggest. And if not, that's totally fine. As far as the visibility thing, I mean, it's totally true. When in this body positive world, we're really, you know, getting it out there with amazingly beautiful human beings in larger bodies, in, you know, non-gender conforming uh, bodies, in just like putting it out there. And, you know, there's so many beautiful illustrations even of all bodies are beautiful. And you're seeing, you know, bodies with breasts and penises and you're Mm -hmm. seeing bodies with, you know, tiny breasts and big, big tummies and, um, and all different kinds of people. And you, you know, very rarely do you see people with, you know, a, a surgery scar or with crutches or with, um, you know, missing a limb or visibility is a huge issue. And I get really excited when I see people in movies that have disabilities, especially when it's not the point of their character. Like, um, what was it? That silly, that silly movie, The Kingsman, the first one. Mm-hmm. It's a really silly movie, but there's this villain. She's amazing, and she she doesn't have she she doesn't have legs, or she's an amputee, like below the knee. And it's not. It's just a superpower. It's just that she can like you know use them as swords. Her her um you know adaptive prosthetics, yeah. yeah prosthetics and and it's just like it's not the point is not that she's disabled the point is that she's a badass totally. and i love that and i love i just love when oh and and in the the new rocky um creed um his uh, girlfriend is deaf but it's like not a or mm-hmm. she's getting progressively deaf but it's like not her that's not the point of her character mm-hmm. and uh, i think you know i I don't know why. I don't know why it's it's not as as visible. Um, that's a really good question. I think it's just it flies under the radar of a lot of people. Just like I was saying, where I didn't go to school with disabled kids, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't. I don't know where they were. Yeah, I cu- I couldn't have been the only one, but they weren't there. I would have felt so much less alone. I don't know. I mean, I love Instagram because I can dive into the hashtag of my actual disability and find mm-hmm. find folks out there who are, have had the same surgeries because it's, you know, it's pretty rare to be an adult with, with hip dysplasia. Um, there, you know, there's no support group in Portland for me. You know, I've mm-hmm. never met, I've never met in person another person with a disability that I have. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. When you have cancer, you get a parade. You know, you get, not that it's cool, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Prussian Olympic, you know, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, piss on anybody that has cancer, but it's, it is powerful to have community. And I think visibility falls into that same, that same space. And so the incredible models that I follow on Instagram who are in wheelchairs and just folks getting it done with Down syndrome and with cerebral palsy and just, it's so inspiring. And I, and it's not inspiring that, oh, they're living a normal life look how great they are. It's, you know, it's not like that disability porn. It's, it's inspiring to me as a disabled person because they own it. Yeah. They don't run from it. They don't, it, I feel like they're not doing the cowardly thing I did with a lot of my life. They're living the full life that they can because they're embracing their limits. They're surpassing what other people think they can do. And they're just 
badasses. Yeah. I think I've mentioned Mindy Lynn on the podcast before, but Mindy Lynn is a singer in Seattle who I think was born without legs. Uh, she doesn't have legs. And she's a singer and she does a lot of stuff where she like just skateboard, skateboards around. Uh, and it's fucking rad. And I just love seeing people like Annie, who I mentioned earlier, and Mindy. And there's just other people who I follow who, again, I like don't have good name recall, but I see them on Instagram and Twitter as well, where it's like, oh, here's like an amazing singer who also, you know, has a disability. Or here's like this like badass queer person who is in this really beautiful photo shoot with their girlfriend and who also is in a wheelchair, you know? And it's like, I think that is the goal, like you said, that we're not seeing right now is it's not in the mainstream as here are people who have disabilities and are also other things. Like I think intersectionality within the disabled community, I mean, I'm not in there, but from what I have read, like intersectionality is discussed a lot within the disabled community, but it's not getting out to our other activist circles. Like folks who are disabled can also be working towards, you know, queer liberation, but people who are in the queer community who are able-bodied and neurotypical are not thinking about disabled communities. So I would really like to see that like go the other way as well. Absolutely. And I'm bisexual and I feel like I've, it's the disability and my my sexuality and my identity as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jewish woman and, like, all of these, like, things that are, I'm like, a toe in that community and a toe mm-hmm. in that community. It's, it's, intersectionality just makes it feel safe to be the Venn diagram. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you don't have to pick a team. Right. And so I can, I can be fighting for bisexual visibility and and dis, disabi- disability visibility, which I think is a great phrase, uh, at the same time. And I think I think it's really exciting to give up on that idea of I just have to be the person who's on my Instagram talking about body positivity and being in a larger body, or I have to be picking feminism, or I have to pick disability, or I have to pick right. one of my things. And we we don't because we're complex human beings who are bigger than any one of those things. Yeah. I mean, anyone who listens to this podcast has probably heard me say that I feel like I am too many things. I know my therapist definitely the last week and I was talking to him, I was like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, because you feel like you're too many things. And I just yelled like, I'm too many things. But like, that's like I, what I want to see in media. Like, that's why I'm on this yeah. podcast. Like, that's why you're on this podcast also, because I love you. But um, like, I want to see people with identities that have like a lot of I mean because everyone everyone has an intersectional identity it's just that (laughs) when you're like a straight white guy it's not seen as too many it's seen as like neutral right but everyone has an intersecting identity and I want to see all of them in the media and I want to see more people with more one like other box checked in the media and like you said not have that be the focus of their characters just have it be like the reality of the way that we're all living our lives in the world yeah um well, I just wanted to add one more thing really fast, which is that you taught me a really important thing about disability because I love walking and I would always try to make people have walking meetings with me. And I feel like you were the first person who was like, oh, sometimes I can't walk. And I'm like, oh, right. Obviously, not everyone can walk all the time. And like now I try to be really conscious of like if I'm suggesting that to always give an alternate option or to like ask if that's a thing. And like this podcast is recorded on the second floor of a house. And I forgot to do this with you. But with all of my other guests, I'm trying to like remember to tell them that there are stairs and like see if that's a problem. And so I just wanted to say that I really appreciate you like being very kind about that when I was learning and just being like, hey, like not everyone can do all the things you can do. And I'm like, oh, right. Obviously.
I think that's a huge, huge thing. And I think it's just, it's a mindfulness exercise. Just, I really would love for people to take maybe five minutes out of their day and walk through either your home or your place of work or a store or your favorite restaurant and see the barriers, Mm -hmm. the physical barriers in that space. And I think that's why there's a lot of folks that aren't very visible in our in our own town because you look at all those old cool buildings that are old restaurants and there are stairs up to it and there are you know small spaces and there's not people not being uh, really open about their accessibility routes and it it's and even smaller things like that vending machines actually the opening's too low for somebody in a wheelchair mm. to be able to reach mm-hmm. like the angle is all wrong when mm-hmm. you're coming at it is from that angle and just look at your life and see the ways in which you move through it. And I think being compassionate to the folks that are going through their lives in a different way from the bus or the curb and don't just get upset about construction in Portland because mm-hmm. a lot of that construction is about ability and accessibility. And I think that is uh, is something to remember too. Thank you so much for being here. I just feel like I learned so much and you were so vulnerable and so honest and good and I just feel really lucky to have you talking here thank you so much for having me Molly do you have anything else to add I think I think we said a lot of things uh and I'm, I'm just really I just want to give voice to the fact that I was really nervous to even talk about this because you know the privilege that I experienced as a pretty able-bodied disabled person I I own that I know that there are a lot of folks who are, are struggling um, and don't get to escape. They don't get to escape right. their identification as disabled. That's mm-hmm. not a, that's not something that they get to live with. And so I I'm nervous about speaking about that issue. But it, it it's so cool that you acknowledge that all of us have these things to contribute, and all of us should be talking about these things, even if we feel a little bit nervous about being, uh, you know, some sort of representative for a community, mm-hmm. because we don't have to be. We can just be representatives for ourselves and. I'm really glad you're making space for people to be able to do that. Thank you. Yeah, I think that myself and a lot of my friends, including you, like are always like, am I queer enough? Am I disabled enough? Am I enough of a person of color? Am I this? Am I that? And I hear people who I consider to be much more whatever than me still saying that thing. And I don't think it ever ends. Like it's a weird Olympics of either you're not enough or you're too much and there's no space where you're like, just queer enough or like just disabled enough or whatever and so uh you know without suppressing other voices uh i think it's important to just speak up for the lived experience that you have and not try to crush olympics yourself out of voicing your experience Absolutely.